Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. As we're turning to that page in your Bible, I was listening to a sermon, off-sermon audio. Just get on the search engine there of sermon audio and was looking up what it means uh, to prevail in prayer. And while my sermon so much isn't about prayer specifically, the result of it is prevailing in prayer. And this man made a comment from a, uh, a Puritan from the old times, and he said something to this effect. No, actually, it wasn't a Puritan. It was E.M. Bounds, I believe. Okay? And uh, I've read so much, it's like a bowl of spaghetti in there, but it's all in there. Every noodle's right inside. It just needs to come out. But he said this, that, that the, it is the, the earnest prayer of God's child that gets his ear. Think about that. When we pray earnestly, God listens to that. Well, are you saying that God doesn't listen when we pray casually? I'm not saying that because God hears everything. But I am saying that biblically speaking, every time we read in Scripture where God's prophets or, or whoever were praying with, with intentionality, with, with earnestness, with great passion, God seems to really be drawn to that. He moves in that. Do you know what you have to have in order to pray earnestly? Humility. You get done being you. And you say, Lord, I just want to be filled up. I only want what you want. Well, how do we get? We don't just get that. Uh, While I'm going along here, and today, if you'll just bear with me, I, I have so much stuff coming off the top. Um. I have to make a confession to you all as a church. I'm always doing that. So you always know what I'm thinking. I feel I've done a disservice to a large degree because of my personality. Uh, Was raised hard. It's not an excuse, but it is a reason. Uh, Raised hard. Um, Compassion was... unknown and so you tend to take these attributes on and many things from your formative years you carry over into your spiritual life and I and the Lord has revealed to me in many ways through his word that I've I have a tendency when I get tired to make him hard and harsh that I preach hard that I preach harsh This happens whenever I'm not spending time alone enough. And I just want you to know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if if you've ever felt joyless here under the preaching of the Word. I begin to go back and look at some of the sermons I've preached, some of the themes that I've had, and they're all fine. But I should read ahead. Because I begin to notice a pattern. God does judge sin. But oh, there's a blessing coming. He just can't help but want to draw you back close. I learned that God, oh well, for example, and, and I, I'll get through this, just bear with me. But in Exodus 34... I think. Maybe I got that. Exodus 24. I'm trying to remember all my stuff. And you probably just turned there. Let me find. Uh, I, may, I may have forgotten. That's what I'm talking about. But it's, and I just looked it up the other night, or the other, just recently. Oh, yes, here it is. Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, verse 6, 
This led off of a verse of Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls, for my yoke is weary and my burden is light. Take from me, learn from me. And he says something declarative in that verse that I've read, but I've never really noticed much in the way of the impact that it has of his heart. Jesus, for the first time in all of Scripture, defines what he's like, his heart, himself. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now ask yourself a question. If, if someone were to come up to you, I'm going to pick on somebody as just by way of example to make it better. Hugh. I'll just pick on Hugh. Hugh, we're going to write a book and it's going to be recorded until the end of time. We want to feature you in it as a main character. In fact, we want you to define for us, in one sentence, that which most describes you. For all to know, and when they read it, they're going to know that's you. What would you say? How daunting is that, right? Jesus said, I am gentle, and I'm lowly in heart. You find rest here your souls because I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart well I got thinking about that and I went over to Exodus 34 Moses said Lord Father God show me your glory and God said I'll show you my goodness but I'm going to tuck you in the rock so you won't get incinerated (laughs) and I'll show you my goodness you can see my back And as God went there behind Moses, or passed before him, it says in verse 6, notice what what was proclaimed, because God is glorious. I believe the angels could have been the, the seraphim proclaiming this. The Lord, the Lord God. Now notice this, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now let's just stop there a second. Matthew 11, 28, Jesus describes his heart as gentle and lowly, right? Jesus is God. I know. Okay. But over here, God, whom we think in the Old Testament is... In which case, he did a lot of stuff that was yeah. But when God was, was asked to show his glory, he showed his goodness. And here's what the angelic procession said, because they couldn't help but say it. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is His declarative statement of who He is in His holiness. God help me for every message I've ever preached where I failed to put that up as the foundation from which to preach from. But don't, don't, and we should never, lose sight of what it says after that, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. God does have to judge sin, and He will judge sin. And I say this, that it's time that many of us rediscover what the true biblical love gospel actually is. We don't have to tolerate the world getting to define that and its corruption. The Bible describes it. And furthermore, Jesus has the right to define His heart. I don't. I will not focus on one part of Him to the neglect of the other. And so anymore... I'm going to do everything in my power when I preach 
to make sure that I preach the heart of God. We're going to talk about sin. Of course, you have to. That's why we're here. If it weren't for this, we wouldn't, that, we wouldn't even be here. We have to have a, a Savior to save us from our sin. But did you know that in the Bible, there are verses that talk about God's judgment in His character, His wrath, as being the strange thing that He has to do. It's true. never saw that before. Read my Bible. It's true. It's who he does it. But what we just read, those are his. That's what he likes to do. It's kind of like a guy. Well, I'll just use Pam. One of the sweetest, just exude sweetness. Just, just, oh man, you know, total sweet person. I would hate to see her lose her temper. And I know she can. I don't know what it looks like. But even if I saw it, because I've known her long enough now, and because she's so consistent with her sweetness, I would say, that's weird. <laughs> you know, that's weird. That's weird Pam got mad like that. Why? Because, well, it's not that she doesn't have the capacity to. It's just that that's not her definitive characteristic. That's not what's up front. See? And that's the same way with God. So, praise God for His indescribable grace. But I want you to remind us of something. It is a strange thing for God to have to render judgment. He does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked. But He does so judge it. It's time that we take a stand for the biblical Jesus and the biblical God. If we're going to stand up and say we're people of the book, then we better preach Him right. Amen? With that being said then, how do we do that? How do we get that adjustment? Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope... Did you see it? It's just right there in your face. Always is. Not only that, look at this next word in white here. I hope you can... Yeah. Fill you with all... Notice what the next word is. Joy. And what's following that? Peace. Why? In believing that you may abound. Abound. Did you, we just read back in Exodus 34, He abounds in mercy and truth that we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. I heard an interesting comment from Paul Washer who's listened to the message. Listen to it seven times so far. It's that good. He said this. Baptists are a very reactionary people. I would say evangelicals. <laughs> it's not just Baptists. Of course, we can be pretty hard. We hear the love gospel of the world that says, God just loves you as you are. You come as you are because He made you that way and you don't have to change a thing. He just, just loves you and here's his a, here's a lollipop. That is... It is true that God loves you. And He loves you enough to know that unless you repent, you're going to perish. He wants you to be clean and free. But because they say that, then we're over here going, No, oh, He's going to get you. He's going to judge you. And we did that, you know. And we forget the rest of it. We stop short. It's the same thing that we do when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because of what abuses have been done in largely charismatic circles, applying, attributing everything to the Holy Spirit. I mean, things that would never be in the heart of God to do, ever. And we stand up and go, see? 
It's not God. And therefore, we will never mention the Holy Spirit again. Because we might trip up into that. And we just get polarized on how we think. And then, of course, if you take a personality like what I've got, like a hedgehog, cactus, sandpaper, I don't know. You can easily fall into that even more. We must preach what the Bible says all the way through. So therefore, I challenge you this. In your yearly Bible reading calendars when you're reading through, I don't know how many, how many of you use those? Yay, golf clap. Okay, remember, I remember that show. <laughs> it was years ago, but getting older. But uh, it's, we tend to read chapters or sections of verses in long chapters. And so if you're reading a judgment narrative, you may read that that day, right? Then the next day you come in and then you'll resolve that whole thing. And if your tendency is to hang on to the harshness, you're going to remember that part. And then you'll read right through the resolve of His grace and His mercy and the whole uh, swords being turned into plowshares and the fruit being on the vine and, and the desert blooming and God restoring it and what He wants to do and my people come back. And we tend to overlook that. So I challenge you whenever you do that, if you're like me, read through, even though it's not that day's reading, and get the whole picture. Don't stop on the hard stuff. God is a God of hope. 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 Did you know that our world is mad? It, it is indeed. Listen to this. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Well, nobody. Look at this, Isaiah. Look to me and be saved. What a declarative statement of grace. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Stop looking around. Jeremiah 10, there is no one, oh no, Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great and your name is full of power. All of that exudes hope. And then lastly, it's my, my favorite one. It's all good. I like it all. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. Do you think that describes us when we assemble? Man, I know. For who in heaven, who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Nobody. Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints reverential love that he loves us so much that it's almost scary and to be held in reverence by all those around him O Lord of hosts who is mighty like you O Lord your faithfulness also now notice what it says about his faithfulness where is it at it's everywhere man it surrounds him on all sides he's not one dimensional you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Now, quick side note. So, in the cleft of the rock, it says in the scripture, we didn't read it, that God passed by. Apparently, I didn't know this. Remember, when the disciples were rowing hard out on the, the sea, Jesus had went alone to pray. We'll talk more about that later. And then he walked out to them, right? And it says, and he would have passed them by. It says that. I never noticed that. They're like, he, Jesus, what? what? But then he, he caught their attention and then bam, everything was resolved. Peace be still and so on. The, the, the Greek... Uh, the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, used the same exact word for pass by in Exodus 34 and there in that passage that I'm speaking of. And what it means is 
as God was passing by, he did so, so so Moses could see his goodness. I believe when Jesus was doing that on the sea, he was displaying his goodness. Same word. Food for thought. It's an incredible thing because God is so consistent. You see, Jesus is God. Jesus is, is God. He is fully God, but he, he became something that He never was to do something that He had to do. You know what that was? He had to become human. And I, I had missed this in my life. This is a big point that God just really just went with that big old Looney Tune sledgehammer. Kabam, right? Remember, it's like that big. And he said, son, you forget that I did become human. You treat me like all I was was a human suit. That everything that I did, I did because I was God and I could. Go back and read the temptation. What was it the devil tried to tempt Jesus to do all the time? What sin specifically for Jesus was it? It was to exercise his God card. What would that have done for you and I? We wouldn't have had a Savior who could relate. So, mind-blowing thing here. Every miracle that we read about that Jesus did in the Scripture. You name one. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Walking on the water. Feeding the 5,000. He did as a man. A perfect man. Have you ever really just grabbed that yet? Have you ever thought about what that means? Hebrews tells us in all points he was tempted as we are yet without sin. We read about that and here's what we say. Well, Jesus struggled in the desert. Well, of course he did, but he was God. He got over it. Well, Jesus did. Yeah, of course he did. He was God and he did that. There's going to be more coming on this later, but to me, when I begin to understand the the, the God of hope that we have. He is not only my Lord and my God. He is relatable. Teenagers. You, you got a weird, weird world you got to navigate. Things are strange and digitized. And you feel what you feel because you're in it and you're human. In your humanness, you're just like, Bleh. I want to tell you something. Jesus understands you. He didn't have an iPhone, but he had a group of people looking out to get him all the time. Trickery, deceit. Expectations they wanted it his. We want you to be a king, but I'm here to be a savior. King, <laughs> savior, and he had it. He knows. So, oh, oh, you're in mid middle. You know, maybe you're getting a senior adult, and you're getting where everything just hurts. I understand how that works now, but <laughs> I just want you to know. I just I want to, Jesus gets it because. The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars in his hands and the scar on his side. Did you know that Jesus is still perfectly human? Did you know that? He didn't strip his suit and go, whoa, that was a bad ride. Oh, I'm glad it's over. Woo, keep it. I don't need it back. And we forget too Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit is given us as a guarantee for the purchased possession one day when we get to have our what given back to us? This body. You say, I don't want mine back. Oh, you don't understand. Total rebuild. Complete and total makeover. They had a show years ago called Extreme Makeover. It's really extreme. Okay, what God's going to do, because He wants that. God understands. Jesus knows And I want you to know that's the God of hope. We have a God of hope that can take you from your sin of despondency and and cheerlessness and joylessness, your lack of peace, the mess-ups that you've made over and over and over again. 
And he can make you a new person. And he does. He does. He's a God of hope. He is a God of hope. You need to wrestle that in. He's a God of hope. Also, uh, I like what Hal Lindsey wrote. He said, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air. Someone tried that. But only for one second without hope. Do you know how hopeless our world is today? Hopelessness. And I, I, we succumb to it so many times as Christians. We're ambassadors of joy and hope. And when we're not, we're not being, we're, we're being strange. It's just, we're being strange. They're all mad. They're boiling under their skin. And everyone's like, you're trying to get me. And we have to declare the goodness of God and the hope that we have in Him. Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint. That's what we have in biblical hope. It says so right there. Does not disappoint. Do you see it? Says so on screen. Does not disappoint because there's a reason it doesn't disappoint. There's a reason why the hope that Christians possess does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured. Poured! Not squirted, not spritzed, okay? Not, not just... But it's poured on in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's who does it. That's what His job is. Jesus said, I better go away because you know I'm in this... I'm human. I'm perfectly human. Fully God, fully man. All that's true. But it's better if I go... Because then the helper can come. And it's like, it's exactly like, he's exactly like me and he's going to be living inside you. So everywhere you go, everything you experience, everything your life is made of, I'll be with you, in you, because that's what his ministry is. He's a God of hope. Have we got that? Okay. All right. We are meant to have, be filled with joy and peace. Joy. Peace. Now, I, I went through briefly here a while back a series of messages on joy. And they're incomplete. I have to go back over those. Kara, in the Greek, is the word for joy. And it means the emotion of great happiness and pleasure. So I would think, well, was Jesus happy and pleasurable when he was out in the desert? The sun is just beating down and he's not ate for 40 days. And remember... He's perfectly man, Matt. You know what I like to have an empty... Matt likes food. So I know he knows, okay? He does. And you get that... I've been eight since like... That's his second breakfast, like in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they had the little guys. It's, what about second breakfast? I didn't know there was a second breakfast. You get, you get hungry. Imagine being out in that heat, that hot environment... And it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy. What does that look like? Well, I've got to tell you, I don't know what it looks like on the outside, but I sure know what it looks like on the inside. And it's an emotion of great happiness and pleasure that God is just right here, okay? That is the normal Christian life. It's a strange thing to be. Let's all turn to him, whatever, and sing heavenly sunlight. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's not what we should be. That's a rather strange thing. That's a strange picture, right? That's not us. If you're there and you're stuck like that, I just want you to tell you, if you've been stuck a long time, you need to go get away with God. And you need to say, God, you see me. I'm up to here and just yuck. Please speak to me. Your word says that you will. If, 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 I, if I draw near to you, you'll draw near me. That's what it says. Well, Irene is the word for peace in Greek. And by the way, if you have a friend named Irene, that's what it means. I never knew that. She said, Irene. Who names anybody Irene? Well, it means peace in Greek, Irene. The absence of mental stress or anxiety, especially that results from a proper recognition of salvation's worth. Now, did you hear that? Go back. 
according to the scripture, according to what we're reading here, that, uh, that uh, the God of hope may fill us with all joy and peace. It, and it, cav- it connects that with in believing. But this word peace that's used here is the absence of mental stress or anxiety, especially that results from a proper recognition of salvation's worth, freedom from worry. When Jesus saves you, does not the Bible say he saves us to the uttermost? I figured something out about me. It was the first huge understatement of the entire trip. You ready? Here's what it is. I got character flaws. Okay? I hadn't even left yet. Driving over here at the church. I said, you got careful. I know that. But why? Here's why. For those of us who've lived in Jesus for a period of time, long time, we, we tend to take him for granted. We tend to begin to to live as practical atheists many times. And when I say practical atheists, I mean that we stop being, what was it? Uh, we stop exalting in that which Jesus provides in this great work of salvation. We stop being captivated by it because we, we look at the world too much. Every time the disciples got in trouble, they were looking at the world too much. Turn to John 15, verses 1 through 11, if you will. John 15, 1 through 11. And, and, and I've preached this too, but it's always new stuff. It's just always new. So, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. First of all, I just want you to know, being a Christian does not mean you're going to live a life of, of just everything's great. It's a bed of roses and all those kind of things. In fact, the Bible just told us that if you're a Christian, you're truly born again, and you're part of the vine as a branch, you're going to hurt some. But Jesus also promised that our joy can be full. How does that happen? Well, according to Romans 15, uh, 13, and then this verse, it says, skip on first four, verse 4. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Every day you leave your house to go to your job or do whatever it is you do, Remember, God is with you wherever you go. Feast upon the word early. Go to prayer. And then he writes, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And now notice this, for without me you can do nothing. You really think you can work your job without Jesus and be good at it? No, you can't. And if you think you are, you are just simply mistaken. God doesn't intend for His people to just exist. According to the, the picture that we get out of John 15, it's to thrive. Because He says, in verse 7, I know I'm skipping some, I'm trying to keep to the point of the message. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now notice this. By this my Father is glorified. Notice that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. And then finally in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things, and this is where I'm getting to. These things I have spoken to you. That, what does it say? That my joy, Jesus's, that's Jesus. That his joy, his Jesus' joy, would remain in me. That he would remain in us and that our joy may be full. Now again, I don't know what that looks like on the outside. I know it doesn't look like me. Because honestly, if you're in deep pain, especially for those of you who have had stuff replaced lately, I don't expect you to come over after surgery going, hey, just... No, but there's something inside that's otherworldly, and that is Jesus. So joy 
joy, joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what this word screams? is peace, peace, peace. And the Bible tells us to pursue peace with all men. And as much as depends on us to pursue peace. One of the things that I've made a mistake in doing is getting too wrapped up by trying to fix it. With many of you. Instead, I've learned something. You're going to think, you're slow. I must go to prayer. More. It's going to take more. If you're a preacher here today, I just want you to know something. You, of all people, can't afford to be casual in your prayer life. You are going to have to sacrifice more for it well to finish up it's in believing that these things come that's what it says the joy and peace in believing believing what well a better word would would be pastuo but it means to trust in jesus as contained in the content of the gospel by the way out there in the track rack we have gospel tracks that explain the gospel in a way that could if you left it with anybody they would know exactly what the gospel is about Exactly. It's exhaustive. It's good. It's not exhausting. It's exhaustive. Okay. And then the follow-up is this. It's, you use those sayings. Tell them. Take them to people. But I want to leave with this. What a person believes about Jesus will ultimately manifest in the way they view themselves, view others, and live life. You understand that? What a person believes about Jesus will ultimately manifest in the way they view themselves, view others, and live life. A genuine belief in Jesus Christ cannot be hidden. Here's how I know that. Exposure to the sun will always leave a mark. Everybody knows that Adam and Liz went to Belize. How do we know that? Because look at them. Okay. They have that. Now, I want to say to those of us who are more fair-complected, if we go out into the sun, we too shall be marked. Red. Okay, and redder, and then finally reddest. Okay, it just doesn't change because we're very, very European, Irish in my case, and some of you, who knows. But exposure to the sun will always leave a mark. Now put the S-O-N in there. I like what John 20 says. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe. That's why they're written. Do you understand that? You will get nowhere if you don't read your Bible. You must read your Bible. Remember the Flintstone commercial? You've got to eat your Flintstones every day. That Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in His name. Now what does our Romans verse tell us in the end after all of this? It tells us this. That we will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And and one of the interesting things about that word is, it is an abounding that, that has as one of its core aspects... An expectation. I went out on the side of uh, where I was camping. Into the trees. Because it's hot. And uh, there was a rock there. So I decided I'd pray there. And all I can say is. When we pray. Do we expect. God to listen. You'll know if you do or you don't by how you approach prayer. And I can tell you that in many times I don't sometimes. I know the theology of it. I understand and I believe it. But in the practice of 
prayer that is expectant to God, I, I learned something. You got to fight for that. One of the other things that Paul Washer said in the sermon was, every one of us are really good about initiating many prayers. None of us struggle with that. We're really lousy about prevailing in them. Praying them through. Seeing to it. I'll give you an example. And I know, I know I'm long, but give me a break. So, uh, I read about a story. It's called The book is called The Repenters. It's Peter uh, Dugulusku. He's a Romanian pastor. He was actually central to why, well, part of the reason why communism fell in Romania in 1984-86. He was part of a church that he grew up in in Timorosa, Romania. And they had been praying for a building for years because theirs was rotten and falling down under communism. You just don't go do what you want to do. And they were locked. Among many things. That was one of the things they were needing is we need a better facility. At, just before communism fell, they were blessed with a new, a new facility and the money to, to, to fix it through foreign missions out of the United States and Canada. And he said one of, he was at a table, they were doing something, and a de, an old, he said, an old deacon, he stressed that, came up to him, bent over, and he said, Pastor, I just want you to know that we as a church, because he'd only been there maybe five years or so, we've been praying for 35 years and fasting for this day, for this facility. And I just thought, 35 years under communism, God, we need these resources. We don't know how they're ever going to happen, but we're going to pray in fact. 35 years. Some of you had not even been alive 35 years. Some of you have been alive way over that. When's the last time you prayed 35 years for something without losing heart? That was for a building. Under communism. You got people you love that need Jesus. You storm the gates of heaven and don't you stop. You got children that are just kind of out there. And you say, I've been praying for six months. Okay, you're warmed up. Don't lose heart. Remember, what does Romans 15, 13 tell us? The God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And not only that, because with God there's always more. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, I am, I am as excited as I can be. You think, well, you just got back from vacation and then you'll be back to normal. And I just want you to know something. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I'm doing everything in my power to make these adjustments that God has shown me. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm tired of my flesh winning. It doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to dictate terms on my walk with God. I don't think the flesh should dictate terms on how we experience the Lord either in His own house. And I think that revival is there when God's people get low. Get desperate. Get earnest. When we pray earnestly, every revival in history shown it. God moves. Amen. Who do we serve? God of hope. In joy and peace because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother JT, you come. Sorry for a little bit of the overlay, but then again, I kind of not. Because I want you to know something. Jesus is worth every bit of time we spend with Him. We get the bulk load of our hours and our days and our weeks. But it is time to enjoy being a Christian in a weird world. Do we pray to show it? Because that joy and that peace, that's where it comes from. It comes from bended knee. Stealing away with Jesus often. That's what's going to cause them to look. 
I want them to come to a burning house, not a rotting one. Let's live it. As JT sings, you come. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, the gospel is this, that Jesus died for your sins, that without him, you will perish. But that's why he came. You give him your old dirty, rotten, nasty life and all your failures, and he'll give you his perfect, righteous life and his joy. Come to him by faith, saying, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for me. Come into my life. Change it. And own me. Make me a slave. Christian, I know it's hard. So so does the Lord. He's calling you to get up. He's calling you to come close to the fire. And don't you ever leave. It's JT plays. Altars of come. Father, you, you have truly been kind to us today. You are infinitely good, infinitely gracious, infinitely kind, infinitely merciful, infinitely long-suffering. It is incomprehensible that the human heart, apart from Christ, can be so corrupted that it would intentionally turn away from such a great and loving God. That's our state. And yet, you love us. We thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ministry of the Word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts with it. God, may there never be a Sunday go by where we don't pray revival to come to this to this nation to this church to the churches around us and the entire western hemisphere of Christianity God stir the fire in us set our souls afire 
thank you, Lord, for being merciful and gracious to us today. And Father, we ask that I would ask that you would be with the people this week. Let them be drawn to your goodness. And if they're ashamed, let them know that they only have an, uh, an accuser of the brethren and that they have a great advocate. Lord, let them live and not succumb to the drudgery and, and anger of the world. Keep them away from pointless conversations that have nothing to do with the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, invade our lives. We'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so it's only 15 over. Um, a little hot in here, but I, I, I just, I, I, I truly missed you all. I did. I, I knew that. That, that kind of was a strange thing I've never had happen before. Um, I was, I was, I really genuinely missed you all. We're a church family, and it's real. And if you're on the periphery of it because you're afraid of getting hurt, you might as well just embrace. And you're probably going to get hurt because that's what happens in family. But you don't quit each other. Jesus never quits us. I look forward to seeing you next week. Okay? Pray up. Pray for revival. Prevail in prayer. Sometimes I forget which one I chose on Thursday that we're going to close with. So let's sing this together. Here is the last time.